We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, I'm overworked and underpaid, as usual, but, you know, c'est la vie. But Paid! Actually, not paid yet. I, I'm still broke for another nine days. To be paid <laughs> at a specific point in the future. Wee! Yep. <laughs> Good times. It's been it's been a busy week. There's been a lot going on, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll we'll be talking about later in the show a late addition to the DVD shelf. This is relatively short notice. Paul Goebel, of course, the king of TV, is going to come back on at the end of the show and talk with us about Crime Story. We thought that was fitting given of course the the recent passing of dennis farina and uh, he was mentioning on his podcast of course hey watch this with paul and david the david being david backs of battleship pretension that that he was a fan of crime story and enjoyed it the show and i was like oh well clearly serendipity we should talk about the show so it's been a fun week of i guess tough chicago cops gotta love a tough chicago cop is there any other kind I'm pretty sure there's not. I'm pretty sure that all Chicago cops are awesome and there's no corruption and bad things ever. Never. Never. Let's talk about cheerier things, like all the wonderful comments we got from you guys. We heard from many of you about the, you know, our 100th episode. We very much appreciate that, guys. Very. It's been a great couple of years, almost a couple of years. We'll talk about that a little later coming up. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. And we heard from Kyle, who apparently has tried to leave reviews for us a couple times in iTunes, and it's just never gone through. Why does iTunes hate us? It's, you know, it goes back way before you even started this podcast. iTunes has always hated Sound on Sight. I'm not sure why. That's just, yeah, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to review our podcast. We do very much appreciate every iTunes rating review that we get. Maybe, you know, double check to see that it went through. Or if it didn't, just let us know and we'll say thank you. Even if iTunes doesn't, yeah. you know, care. We care. Yeah, and if it really doesn't work, you can always just leave a nice comment on the podcast post or anywhere on the site, and we, we moderate these things, so we will always enjoy Or a that. mean one, too. Those are fun. Yeah, those can be really fun, especially if they're yeah. ignorant. <laughs> we love those. We also heard from, from Carl, who enjoyed our expert witness segment. We didn't hear from anyone else, so I guess I'm just going to call that one for one. So therefore, people like it. Yay. Yay! Let us know. We we do seriously want feedback about that. Um, for right now, I guess we'll assume it's meh to yay from the audience reaction. Yeah, well, I, I assume people are just tired of hearing about Breaking Bad and they just want to start watching it again. I, I, I resemble that statement. Uh, next, we heard from Julius, uh, who recommends the Nerdist Writers Panel, which is, of course, a wonderful podcast. And we talked some newsroom. And Beth, you beautiful tropical fish, you. We had a lot of fun talking about Leslie and Anne's relationship and friendship on Parks and Rec with, of course, the announcement that two of the cast members will be leaving. Uh, Carl and Caroline both recommend Graceland um, and Carl votes for the Awesomes, as well as there were some votes for Moon Boy, which 
ended up winning the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll. More about that later in the show. Um, let's see, we heard from Swedge about antihero cops, and apparently on Starsky and Hutch, there was police brutality out the wazoo. I'm less interested in catching up with that show now. Have you seen any Starsky and Hutch? I have not seen one iota of Starsky and Hutch, although I can't say my interest level has ever been all that high. Um, Jason says that he remembers liking Crime Story as a teen, so he will hopefully enjoy this segment at the end of the show. Uh, Kate is watching season two of Doctor Who. I have enjoyed following along, Kate, so please keep tweeting about it. Um, I think... I think Ken had my favorite tweet of the week, which was, look out, Simon, Kate's about to go Hannibal on the violinist who painted her violin. And that, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that, Ken. <laughs> as long as we're talking about things that are being discussed on the internet, I'm sure you have thoughts about Peter Capaldi. I do. We talked lots of Moffat and and uh, Capaldi and all sorts of Doctor Who stuff um, with Andrew, Leanne, Scott, Ken, Hayate, many others. Uh, Peter Capaldi is a wonderful, wonderful actor. He's amazing. He can do everything or anything, depending on what the scene calls for. And I'm sure he'll be a fantastic doctor. Uh, I was going to write up a piece about the casting, uh, mainly the decision to once again go with a white guy. Uh, I'm glad that they went with somebody older. I'm not hugely surprised that they went with Capaldi. I think, and again, this does not diminish my excitement level. I'm Capaldi's amazing. I'm sure he will be great. I'm just less than happy with Moffat. And when he decided to to make a kind of funny joke about uh, he thinks it's great that people have been saying they want their like Helen Mirren has been telling him that she thinks there should be a, a female doctor. And he would like to go on the record as saying he wants there to be a man pl- who plays the queen. Because those are the same thing, Stephen Moffat. You're hilarious. Well, no one can prove to me that the Queen isn't a 1,500-year-old alien or whatever the Doctor is supposed to be. Uh, I hope I didn't just brutalize Dr. Lore there. (laughs) But I I will say that if it produces a whole lot more videos like the one where that girl goes, he's so ugly, (laughs) then I could could watch that for hours. Well, and at the same time, I was reading an article. Somebody uh, tweeted at me, somebody going, "Mm mm-hmm, Capaldi. (laughs) Old school doctor. I like it. There you go. I I have a hard time picturing them doing the same sort of cutesy sexual predator thing (laughs) with Capaldi. So I guess that's good. Now, did you see that um, that Rich in Space Moffat's Guide to Women? No, I didn't. Oh, oh, when we are done podcasting, I will send you the link. You got to watch it. It's hilarious and awesome. And uh, anyone who's not sure why some of us Whovians are not happy with Stephen Moffat's portrayals of women, despite the fact that that these have been occasionally totally badass, really awesome characters, uh, go ahead and search Rich in Space, R-I-T-C-H and Space, and check out his YouTube uh, channel, because it's hilarious and awesome. The guy knows his stuff about who, and... In a minute and a half, he encapsulates all of my issues with representations of women and uh, treatment of women in the Moffat years. And I'm going to demand at least some bloopers of Malcolm Tucker as the doctor. Oh, come on. (laughs) Come on, right? Yeah. No, I've enjoyed all all of the kitty bye things I've been seeing about the doctor. It's been it's been good. Uh, let's see. We also heard from uh, Keith, who ha- is looking for recommendations for long-running comedy series. And uh, he was thinking maybe Parks and Rec and wants to know if he can skip season one. Because he's never seen any of it, but he heard the first season isn't good. I skipped season one and I did just fine. I think I may have watched the pilot a very long time ago, but 
uh, I didn't feel like I, I missed a whole lot. Although, actually, one really good long-running comedy, although it's not that many episodes, it has gone on for about six or seven series, would be Peep Show, which has been pretty great pretty much the entire time with only slight dips here and there. And it's it's highly mean-spirited, but it's also very hilarious. So not as cuddly and friendly as Parks and Rec, but still pretty great. Okay. And let's see, uh, Aaron, and I want to say Markham, and I'm sorry if I got your name wrong, dude, are two guys that I was sitting next to at the Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz double feature at the Music Box this past weekend. And it was awesome to to hang out with them. I was there by myself. I was like, I'm just going to go by myself. Whatever. That's, that's cool. I don't need to have someone to go with. That's okay. And fortunately, it worked out because I was sitting next to two uh, very, very entertaining. And uh, I, I want to say TV literate, but mostly I just mean that we have the same opinions about TV. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, to, to kind of fill some of the time while we were waiting for the various movies to, to get going and the Q&As and everything. So it was great meeting you guys. And hopefully you're enjoying the podcast. Um, heard from the movie waffler who wants to know if we are going to cover Southcliff. Southcliff is a another crime series from uh, Channel 4. And we will not probably be covering it on the Televerse because we mostly cover things as they air in the U.S. There was one exception to that where I was covering mentioning my thoughts on Sherlock the last season, previous season, based on its UK release schedule. We probably, for the, we for the most part, are only covering things as they air in the Western Hemisphere. Yes, but uh, not that we're not excited for another short-run British crime drama, because there's a lot of those these days. Yes, yes, there are. And we'll, we'll talk about one of them later in the show, of course, Broadchurch, which uh, the first episode of which airs this coming week, but the, the pilot was put up online and on demand for people to check out early. So we'll have our thoughts on that later. Finally, I talked with Amanda about uh, my P article. I put up an article about So You Think You Can Dance and why I feel like every teenager should be watching that show and it deals with uh, representations of teens on television and body image and all sorts of other things. And it was great to talk with Amanda about that. And um, yeah, I'm curious. I don't know if you had a chance to read my, my, my article or not, Simon, and, but I, I did. Yeah. I, I, the more I think about it, when I was a teenager, I was watching shows like boy meets world and Sabrina, the teenage, Witch, were they for the most nice. part, you know, looked teenagery. And now I think of, like, because I wasn't watching 90210 and I wasn't watching, you know, Party of Five or whatever. So maybe there are other people that are teens now that are finding shows to watch where the teenagers actually look, at least, and feel somewhat teenager-y. Um, so maybe there are shows that I just don't know about. But I, I do, when I think of my students, especially the girls, but the teenage students that I have and the the TV that's geared towards them, I kind of shudder a little bit. <laughs> Well, and I don't know about you, but every girl or woman I know who's roughly my age or a little older, um, because of their sensibilities, they all talk about how much they loved Daria growing up. Oh, yeah. Daria was great. Future shelf idea, anyone. And uh, it doesn't feel like there's there's a Daria equivalent right now. No. There, there, I mean, there, and, and again, maybe there is, but we just don't know about it. That's There's a lot of channels out there, and not to mention web series, too. But um, when I turn on So You Think You Can Dance, and this happened last season, and, and then it happened again at the beginning of this season, and I'm looking at these 19 to 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds, um, and, and, and going, oh, man, they look kind of fat. That's not them. They're in amazing, like, ridiculously amazing 
perfect shape and they're young and they're probably eating healthy and if they're smoking it hasn't destroyed their body yet the problem is not them the problem is me and how is the problem me and I kind of felt like watching the beginning of this season and the beginning of last season both years I had to like deprogram myself from how I was used to seeing teenagers depicted on television this is what happens when you marathon the vampire diaries it's not it's not just vampire diaries it's everywhere and uh, women who walk into like a victoria's secret or a express or any of these different stores and you see the models that they choose to use who are w- yeah way too young for mo- for models are on television the actresses and it's actors too who are way too like all the guys who are just like ripped just like they're triangles their upper body are triangles how is that's got to be so like not fun for a teenage guy to see? Yeah, no, it's it's not, or even an adult man to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let's not limit ourselves there. <laughs> Anyways, to to continue, that's yeah. There's there's pictures. There's more thoughts at Sound on Sight. But if that everyone interests loves you, pictures. Everybody loves pictures. If that interests you, check out my my article at Sound on Sight. Um, just look in the TV side of things it's in it's in the idiot box you'll find it there um so i wrote about that clearly i have thoughts clearly i have so many opinions um i also wrote it up wrote up my interviews with the various composers i had a chance to talk to at comic-con and that's also up in the idiot box at sound on site um and also happening at sound on site well starting sunday you will be i'm covering the final half season or season i don't know how they're doing this anymore of uh, something called Breaking Bad, which, uh, yes, I will be getting home from work at around midnight Eastern and then watching the episodes. The earliest you can expect it is probably about four in the morning on Sunday, um, possibly faster if I've been drinking. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I feel like uh, this this premiere, which by all accounts, and I'm jealous of all of you who have screeners out there, by all accounts is amazing. I feel like this um, premiere is going to warrant a justified style. Breaking Bad! Uh, I don't want to give another show that. Can't it have its own thing? Okay, okay, okay. I I rescind. I rescind. Can't we just do a... (laughs) I can't do the Breaking Bad sound. Oh, Yeah, that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. (laughs) That's how butchered it was, was you couldn't even identify it. Also, at Sound on Sight, of course, it's Fantasia. It's just like every single day I go back to Sound on Sight and there's like five new reviews of movies that I will probably never see uh, just because they're not going to air near me. But uh, if you're interested in reviews of a bunch of different films that are being screened at Fantasia, um, go ahead and check out the top of Sound on Sight. It's taken over the monthly theme because Fantasia runs all month and y'all are crazy and covering it. Yeah, well, I and I'm not really on the bandwagon this this year because I'm working and not in the right city. So uh, not not a good combo for covering of something like 300 film genre festival in Montreal. But uh, I will be covering TIFF in some capacity somehow, which will also be fun because I'll be working anyway. <laughs> well, with that, let's uh, let's get to work ourselves. We've been going rambling on here long enough and let's uh, take a break and come back with our week in comedy. Here we go. It's so exciting. Mass is so exciting. Oh, we praise thy name. Already bored, Martin tuned out. Until suddenly a biblical breeze of coolness blew through the congregation like a boy blizzard. With its own smoke machine. Can't touch this. And their rapish robes. Can't touch this. Who was this bell ringing brotherhood? With their godliness and their great hair, these holy jewels were alone to themselves. 
think I want to be an altar boy. Me too. This week in comedy, we have Make Kate Watch Moon Boy, Episode 5, Godfellas. I also watched the rest of the season. Spoiler alert, I like the show. Um, we have Wilfred, Perspective, Children's Hospital, Triangles, NTSF, SDSUV, Hawaii, Dio. Love that. Um, and the Gravity Falls finale, Gideon Rises, which did not air a couple weeks back when we thought it was a cliffhanger finale this it was just there was a break that's confusing that's not a good time to have a break programmers no that's not a good time to have like a just large break for comic-con anyways um i'll kick things off with moon boy which because you live in canada you do not have hulu accessibility and the way that that this is happening it's a British series, I believe, that's already aired or is currently airing in the UK. I believe it's like a six-episode series, and it has been picked up for two more seasons. They're currently filming the third season. Uh, the second season's in the can. will be airing later this year or early next year, and it got picked up by Hulu, and the way they're doing it is if you have Hulu Plus, you get Netflix-style access to all of it, and if you, have, uh, you don't have Hulu Plus, they're releasing an, a new episode every Wednesday to be you know, available to the general populace, which is how I've seen episodes one through five. I started with the pilot and then really liked the show. And the episode that I will discuss the most is, is episode five. This show, it's okay. It's about a guy and a kid, I should say, a, like a 10, 12-year-old, something like that. And his imaginary friend is played by Chris O'Dowd. And it's an Irish family. They're in this, I, I'm guessing, sorry, UK listeners, I'm guessing it's a smallish town in Ireland. I think it's a real place. I just don't know Irish cities that aren't Dublin. Maybe one other that escapes me at the moment. Um, but anyway, so it looks at this family. It's like a sitcom and... Um, and it just feels very authentic. I was laughing out loud with, with every episode. But in the Venn diagram of altar servers and church musicians and Scorsese fans, I am in the center. And so the most recent episode, Godfellas, was made for me. Let me explain why. The, there's a representation of a church music minister that is so perfect it's like they plucked him from my personal experiences time and time again down to the terrible sweater that's too big and the harem of of in this case all female but in my experiences mostly female with one or two unthreatening male voices backing them up even if they don't have a strong enough voice to really be doing the lead they still are and they're playing a really unfortunate keyboard part with far unnecessary synth drum beats underneath and vaguely sexually uh, innuendo-y kind of lyrics in the church music. Just so hilariously perfect. It, I just, I, I was just, no words. And then there's a whole uh, Goodfellas thing going on with the altar servers that was delightful from you know and so like I obviously I've been a church musician I started singing in church choir when I was like in third grade and I was an altar server as well and of course I'm a Scorsese fan so this just really hit the sweet spot uh for me and uh, I'm just gonna say now one of the week in tv there were though there were several shows that I very much enjoyed so 
I am so in the tank for Moonboy at this point. Like, aside from Chris O'Dowd just being the most perfect, charming, invisible, imaginary friend ever, there's just, oh my god, I, whoever has this idea, I love you. Thank you so much. I didn't know that that was what I needed in my comedic life. Simon, please talk now. Well, I, I, I have nothing to contribute on this subject, having not seen it yet, but what's up next? Wilfred. Wilfred! Uh, so d- d- you didn't watch last week's episode, I assume. But... I caught back up with it. Oh, you did. So, I, I mean, how did you feel about last week? Because I didn't think it was totally effective, but I did think it was kind of ballsy. Yes, I thought it was interesting. They just, without much ceremony, just kind of went there. And, yeah, I would agree it wasn't necessarily the most successful. I thought it was kind of odd. Yeah, it was weirdly flat, but I did admire it. I thought this week's was better. Mm. It was sort of like Wilfred doing Inception. Mm. Or actually more like Wilfred doing Eternal Sunshine, which was totally up my alley. And uh, I thought they got some pretty good laughs out of the whole concept of Wilfred playing autopilot while they were venturing around in in, uh, in Ryan's mind. I guess I don't really have any idea where they're going with it or if they're going to do anything inter- interesting with it. But if they can at least keep, keep finding episode hooks like this that work. And I mean, Lance Reddick? <laughs> <laughs> No, there was a lot of really, there's a lot of really fun stuff in there, and um, I liked having when the pieces of the spaceship start falling off. That was just delightful. Parts of it worked, parts of it didn't. It the conclusion with the father was so glaringly obvious that it was a little, you know, obviously that's something that Ryan. It makes sense for Ryan to not have figured out. But from an audience perspective, it's like, oh, I wonder what he's going to discover. And maybe that'll bring him closer to his father. And okay, let's just skip forward. And so when they so when they took another route, I was like, oh, actually, this is way more interesting. And then they come back to it and they give it all this weight at the end of the episode. That didn't really work for me. I, I cared way more about the diversion I wanted them to kind of just like get the the thing with the father over with right away so that we could just spend all the time on the fun stuff. So coming back, like leaving the fun stuff to come back to the father issues and then not really resolving what must be a long history of father issues at all. Just kind of this one moment wasn't as successful for me. Fair enough. Well, we'll we'll see where it's going. I'm just I'm also really, really glad they seem to put the whole Jenna thing behind them. At least yes, for now, for, for now, before it rears, it's. Ugly head once again. Yes. Shall we talk Children's and NTSF? Uh, they both were awesome this week. I thought Children's was maybe a hair better, mm-hmm. but I mean, God, there was just so much goodness on both of these. I mean, I, I like how Children's will ring a whole set of visual gags and verbal gags out of the word triangle for no good reason other than that it's kind of cute and funny. And why not? It has no satirical or thematic function whatsoever it's just something that they can do to prove to you that they're thinking about everything they're doing visually from a writing standpoint mm-hmm. so i mean that's just cool and chance briggs <laughs> nick offerman is so good on this show and uh and oh god the hair the hair tribute you've never even seen hair have you i no no i i'm familiar but i have not seen it yeah that was totally a hair tribute at the end which made me totally geek out uh so that that ending alone put it slightly over ntsf even though all of the ed helms robot gags got to me so very much (laughs) you know when you don't care or you know when it's making you happy or whatever i love that daisy's a psychopath 
on NTSF. Oh my goodness. Uh, just that the whole running gag was amazing. And, uh, yeah, I look, I look forward to, to what more they're going to get out of this character. Also just the whole Mahalo and the reprogramming. It's just such a basic thing. And, but it's still like we talked about last season with these shows. It's just so wonderful to have 15 minutes get in and out, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm also impressed with the way NTSF managed to squeeze in lampooning Robocop and the Manchurian candidate. Yeah. In like an 11 minute and, and didn't rely on you knowing either of those things. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and as mentioned, Karen Gillan is just killing it. She's been so good. Yeah. Um, Gravity Falls had their finale and this show's adorable. Amanda wanted to know if this show is appropriate for kids because she does a lot of babysitting and uh, is always looking for shows that she can enjoy, that she can watch with them. I'm kind of relating it to like a fairly odd parents, but just instead of magic, there's more like supernaturally kind of stuff. I think it would be okay for kids, right? Yeah, although it did get a little violent this week. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, he, you know, little, uh, little, what's his name was even bleeding a little bit from his nose at the end there. Oh yeah, yeah. Dipper. Dipper, yes. Uh, he was actually there's a little bit of blood there, and there was a lot of punching. Um, but other than that, I mean, it was. I didn't think it was as funny as the previous episode. Mm-hmm. It was much more plot heavy, but uh, still pretty good. It's, it's clearly a very fun watch. The voice cast is awesome, and I must say that the. Uh, the penultimate hero moment was just as awesome and badass as they were hoping it would be. Yeah, and you know I'm I, I'm I'm in with a show when I care what happens to Waddles. I love Waddles. Yeah. I've seen like three episodes and I'm already totally invested in Waddles. So and the grappling uh, hook had a yeah. fantastic payoff. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome, and a slightly different one than I was anticipating. I was figuring the run and jump would be a, the grappling hook moment, so I was glad to see that go a slightly different way. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, so what wins the week in comedy for you? Obviously, for me, it's Godfellas. I will give it to Children's with nods to DSF and Gravity Falls. It was a good week for this stuff. Definitely. Now, now let's take a break and come back with our week in reality. in reality we unfortunately due to when we're recording have not been able to catch up with the writer's room parks and rec yet we will talk about that next week but we do have hollywood game night purdy people sorry guys they wrote it that way we had the second episode of top chef masters and we said so you think you can dance quickly you didn't get a chance to see hollywood game night i wanted to mention hollywood game night because and like i said last week anthony anderson was killing it with those songs he was like right on there and it doesn't help if you don't have, you know, a, somebody who can guess. If you have one strong person and he's the one giving the clues, 
you can only do so much. But his guy did win. He did win. He won twenty five grand for the guy. They worked together. It was the first first win for that. And I loved the the whole replacing people with cats in the famous movie scenes. Really, I I enjoyed that one. I hope it comes back. <laughs> um, so Top Chef Masters. I was not going to tune in, but Aaron, one of our uh, one of our buddies on Twitter, Aaron did let me know that there was more cooking this time. So I did. Did you tune in? Uh, sort of. I started watching, and then when they got to the end of the quickfire elimination, which I thought to myself, oh, cool, they're eliminating someone now. That's That could be all right. And then it's like, okay, so you eliminated a guy essentially because he only had 12 minutes to cook with a hilariously complicated set of ingredients because of some stuff that had nothing to do with him. It's like, okay, now it's just getting silly. So I just, I didn't even get to the proper elimination challenge. I was just like, I'm done. If they're going to be doing this every week, no interest. Fortunately, this time, uh, last season, though it was supposed to be up on demand, for whatever reason, maybe just when I was trying to watch it, the the webisodes were never on on demand. This season they are. So I was trying to kill some time the other day, and I so I watched the 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 sous chef challenge thing. Um, the the second one seemed far less uh, stupid than the others. I enjoy the mise en place race when they do it, so that that was fun. But um, and most of the people were able to catch up within ten minutes. So when one guy took substantially longer, you knew he was gonna be eliminated here. This one was better than the premiere for me because there was less gimmickry. But um, I still am really as soon as I have anything else to watch on Wednesdays, I, I really I'm gonna jump ship so quick off of Top Chef Masters. It's not even funny. I do like the chefs, like you said last week. I like their their pool of talent, but just the the structure of it is not not fun for me yeah and unfortunately it's not like a so you think you can dance situation where they can you know listen to feedback and remedy that quickly because so much is shot and edited in advance so not gonna work not gonna work but speaking of so you think you can dance we had our top 14 and we had two more eliminated the non-errant tappers are gone and i was actually kind of given i i think they didn't actually need to see anybody dance but they felt like dicks not having someone dance, so they had them. At least that's the sense I got you. Yeah, definitely. I definitely thought Alexis acquitted herself far better this week than last week, so at least she went out really strongly. I did really enjoy, actually, the her contemporary number with Nico this week. But, I mean, it's all, I, I, it's all about the giving tree and let's get it on, right? Yeah, although I did. I mean, I know you're not necessarily a huge fan, but I have to say I did really like... Uh... Melise and what's his name's tango. Yeah. <laughs> Haley did the tango and Melise. Oh, sorry, did... they had the salsa. Yes. I preferred uh, Haley's tango. Um, and maybe that's just because she had the one of the all star partner. So maybe that who helped. Was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Who was really good. Um, so, so, yeah. And I thought Melise was fine. I, I actually I was a little disappointed in Alan in the salsa. I was expecting him to just nail it and uh, he was fine, yeah. but not great. But she was really good. She was good. She was good. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but you're right. It is all about, uh, let's get it on. Uh, and, um, what was the Such other one? Such a great song choice. I was yeah, not anticipating yeah. that song choice and it was wonderful. Yeah. It's very rare that they go for, for a classic tune. Um, and yeah, they, it was a nice change of pace for them to, like, I thought it was a nice way for them to blend the cutesy and the sexy, yeah, uh, which they haven't. They struggle with that balance sometimes. And yes, the giving tree routine was uh, amazing, and they continue to just 
blow it out of the water every week. Yeah. Well, and that's how, because we talked about props, because I know you're not a big fan of props, and I thought there were way too many for that Broadway number with the pool hall. They were just distracting for me in that one. But here, because it was such a simple thing, and not the choreography was not simple, but just it was one very symbolic, very straightforward prop that kept going back and forth that really worked for me. And I mean, I have my issues with the giving tree. I love the sassy gay friend uh, take on the giving tree, which the sassy gay friend um, actually pairs the giving tree up with Boo Radley uh, as a much better match than the boy from the giving tree, which I think is hilarious. But that aside, I thought it was just a beautiful uh, routine. And uh, the thing with that one that where it works for me more than Amy and Fiction, Reason Jasmine and Aaron work for me more than Amy Fiction. It's something that the, the judges brought up this week, which is that Amy and Fiction are amazing, but so far they've only really, they've only really succeeded when they've been able to be adorable. Yeah. So we'll see if they have the versatility, if they can break through. Because I think they're both badasses, but I've seen so much more diversity in, in tone and character from J- Jasmine and Aaron. Right. And speaking of adorable, how did we feel about Anna Kendrick, who I wasn't <laughs> She was expecting? great. I, yeah. I, I really liked her. I, she doesn't have the same background to get into the specifics that uh, Christina Applegate does, but I thought she did really well. Yeah, it was. I think it was just about her enthusiasm, really. Just she mm-hmm. was. She clearly, she was just clearly a super fan. Yeah. And like, because when I was worried about getting a repeat of Carly Rae Jepsen, and like, arguably they had about the same level of credentials. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, she was. She just. I, I like the way she. She clearly thought about how she could say things that not anyone else was going to say. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, and only a couple of unfortunate numbers this week. Obviously, the hip hop one at the top. Mm-hmm. Not so good. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought overall quality was a lot better and people w- went home who should have. So, yeah. Yay. I also, I really liked that final number about the bullying, the contemporary number that was choreographed by the high school musical choreographer, Bonnie Story, another new choreographer for them. I've, I'm very much enjoying the people that they've brought in. That's been the first time, I guess, choreograph, <laughs> choreographing. Um, I've enjoyed the, the the fresh talent that they're bringing in. Um, but yeah, that that number really worked for me. Eh. Do you prefer the? Did you prefer the other group number or the opening group number? I didn't really like any of the group numbers that much, to be honest. Fair enough. Uh, no, the I'm sorry, but I found the bullying one a little treacly. I know it had, you know, excellent real life uh, connotations, but it's yeah, it was a little much. I thought. Fair enough. Well, it uh, seems pretty clear. So you think you can dance this week? Though I might give oh, it to Hollywood Game Night. I don't know. Uh, well, it's, the, it's my only option, so yes. <laughs> well, let's take a break and come back and talk drama. Here are my notes. You write it. I caught Taylor in an on-the-record moment I could trade, and you were in trouble with your boss, and frankly, I didn't like him. I must save you a lot of time to be able to reach that conclusion in 15 it seconds. Does. But he happens to be a genius. Oh, okay. And either you don't know or don't care how insulting your favor was to me, but it's either one or the other. I'm experienced at this gym, more experienced than you. I got you on the bus. And then, uh, unbelievably, you got us off the bus. Yeah. Yeah, and since you don't know what the hell you're talking about anyway, you shouldn't make a giant assumption that is totally wrong about my personal life or my professional life. Every 
Both of them. It was the second one. It was that I didn't care. How insulting it was. Yeah, because but for a couple things that I didn't foresee, you wouldn't have found out. What the hell? Am I suddenly a, a fucking receptacle for every woman who's pissed at a guy? I did a fast calculation, and it was unlikely he was going to break news or be interviewed on camera, so I didn't think I was robbing my network of money. You didn't need it, and I did. And that call from your boss, your I don't know what to call Evan. him. I've always, I hate that name. I did it because I wanted to. Everything about it felt right, but if it was insulting, I still don't care. This week in drama, we have 9 for 9 swoops, True Blood, a change is going to come. We have the killing finale two-parter from up here and The Road to Hamlin. We have the Broadchurch pilot, a preview of that, as well as The Bridge, Maria of the Desert, and the newsroom, Unintended Consequences. We'll... We'll end with the newsroom. How about oh, that? Is I forgot that's what that newsroom episode was called. It's so perfectly titled. Yeah, yeah. But let's start with <laughs> Nine for Nine. I thought this documentary was actually really interesting. It's about uh, Cheryl Swoops, and the the only issue I had with it is that it would have been more interesting if it hadn't felt as connected directly to the athlete. So at the end, it felt felt a little too pat or easy or optimistic i guess and who knows maybe this new life that she's putting together for herself is exactly what she needs and it's gonna end up turn out great and she's completely turned her life around from uh the decisions that took her from a multimillionaire to bankrupt that maybe that's really happened but i don't necessarily trust you documentary if an interview with the person itself is as detailed as you are willing to go into exploring that. They seem to want to tie a bow on the end. And I think this is maybe this, the story of this athlete is one that needs a little bit more distance since they were looking at her entire sort of career. So it just seemed the ending seemed a little pat for me, but I did not, I didn't know much about the WNBA and I certainly didn't know much about her. And so I I thought on the whole, it was very interesting. And um, yeah, I, I would like to see, I think I'd like to see take two on this subject matter, like in 10 years or something, but we'll see. True Blood, a change is going to come. This week I watched it and you didn't. I also caught up with last week. I was better on last week than you were. It didn't bother me. Maybe it's because, you know, you had prepped me to expect worse, but, um, yeah, parts of this episode worked for me quite a bit. Sookie at her parents' grave, I thought worked just as well as it is supposed to. Um, the ending was expected but worked pretty well and um i don't know i just i don't care about this vision that bill had at the beginning of the season of all of the main characters that we care about for the most part dying in the sun or whatever because i don't believe them for a second i don't believe for a second that they're gonna kill eric and pam and jessica and tara i was like they're not that's not gonna happen so therefore there's zero suspense for me as to you know how things are going to come about to make you know this vision or whatever this prophecy come true uh do you i mean what do you think is the chance that any of those characters are going to die i could see one of them die at the rate that they're getting rid of people i could see one of them going but certainly not all of them like i could see actually at this point i could see tara going because they're not doing anything with her lately yeah well in just like abandoning the whole tara and pam thing because why not (laughs) they don't care about they don't seem to care at least about uh, their longer term relationships the the longer term relationships that don't involve Suki I very much enjoyed the uh, the the kiss off that she got this week by the way um, from from Sam and 
that was delightful and hopefully that will never get brought up again and uh hopefully they can just stop with the men being obsessed with Sookie thing it's it's really it's not dissimilar to my the issues i have with some of the representations of relationships and treatment of women on moffat who so i don't like it here either that being said if they would just kill off they seem to have gotten rid of the wolves for the most part and if they would just stop with all the shifter nonsense um, and just focusing on the vampires and the fairies, I think it would be good with True Blood. It's really helped what they've done the last couple weeks. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. They're, they're trying. They're trying. Two more episodes. I think we're, we've got to be into the new showrunner at this point. So that's a positive yeah. sign as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And hey, it got renewed because the show will never, ever end. Oh, no. It certainly will not. Um, then we had the killing finale. Uh, what did you think? Are you glad that you tuned in this season? Uh, you know, I'm not upset that I tuned in. I think it had some highlights. I, I liked pretty much everything about the Peter Sarsgaard plot, and I was happy when it wrapped up this week properly that it they didn't feel the need to tie it in directly with the main plot. It existed mostly as, I guess, it, it's an ideal red herring, if you want to put it that way, because it took up a lot of screen time, but it was interesting, and the fact that it wasn't connected to the murder case, I didn't care because I liked spending time with those characters. That's a good way to do that. Uh, as expected, the ultimate twist and then twist and then twist was precisely as dumb as it probably always is. The initial choice of, uh, of Holder's partner at, as the killer, I thought made sense. It's sort of what I anticipated. And then when it turned out to not be him, but to actually be Elias Kateas, it was just, oh God, why are they doing this? And the never ending car ride of doom. Which was just, which just made no sense. And I love. I wish you could all see Kate's smug little smile for not watching right now. Um, <laughs> the... no, I, but I'm still watching Newsroom, so I can't yeah, say anything. There you go. Oh, speaking of smug, oh, we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't entirely terrible, and it, it, there were still some nice Linden, Linden and Holder scenes, and a few nice payoffs here and there. And I liked some of the ambiguity they developed with the endings, like Amy Simon standing at the bridge and. Uh, a couple things here and there, although I didn't like the uh, the ending with with the uh, with the young girl deciding to turn tricks again because I did feel like it kind of validated some things that the Kateas character was saying inadvertently, which I wasn't too happy with. But other than that, I mean, from what I've read of the first two seasons, it was almost certainly better than those. Uh, it's still a very problematic show, and I I, st- I still think, and I, I stand by this entirely, an, an episodic police procedural show with Lyndon and Holder that forgets everything that happened in all the other seasons would be must watch TV. Same crew, maybe even some of the same writers, same cast, just a total stylistic do over is what that show needs. And, we, and, it, and who knows? It may be over now, but, uh, cause they haven't announced a renewal yet. I wouldn't be surprised if it got renewed again though. No, I wouldn't it either. Still, still seems fairly popular. Yeah. Popular enough. And also low budget enough. Yeah, although I guess the one complication would be, uh, you know, Kinnaman is going to be blowing up soon, I think. So he may we'll not see. want to sign on again. Yep. And I I mean, without Kinnaman, I don't think you do the show. No. It would, I mean, you could, but it would, and it would just it would just be hilariously pointless. It would just be a very different show. Um, let's move on to Broadchurch. The UK has seen, I think, all of this se- season already, but it'll be starting in BBC America this coming week. We've seen the pilot, and uh, for the, the Who fans out there, it has not only David Tennant, of course, the Tenth Doctor, but Arthur Darville, who, of course, played Rory, one of the Eleventh Doctor's companions, and there are many other familiar faces in there if you are fans of British television. 
someone has killed a child in a small town and they've got to call in the big cops to find out what's going on. Yes, it's another crime procedural in 2013. It's also the year of did you know that small towns have secrets? Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, that being said, it's impossible to say whether this is a good show or not yet. I, I think uh, it's yeah. this episode is all set up. I mean, I like pretty much the entire cast. I love Olivia Coleman, who hasn't mm-hmm. mentioned yet. Uh, she's great. Another one of those Twitch hitters. She can do comedy drama equally well. She's great. Good to know she's going to be around. Well, I just enjoyed her greatly in uh, Hot Fuzz the other day. Yes, exactly. Nice to see her in a very different role here. Yes. Um, But, you know, shows like this live or die on how they develop from that setup. I mean, the setup is effective. It's it's beautifully shot. The cast is great. Everything is it's it's a very classy series, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term. It's it's got no glaring, you know, in terms of the way they, they execute um, you know, the, the the parents' grief and how police handle the press, etc. There is very little that smacks of blatant emo- emotional manipulation that isn't called for. So that's good. Well, and they take their time setting up the world beforehand. We get an, at least a solid five minutes with before the body's found. Yeah, we get we get uh, we get a nice long tracking shot through the street following the husband around, uh, which is a nice touch. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. All the worrying aspects are really in those last 45 seconds when you start to get the hints about what the darkness is, is, is will be. And hopefully those don't turn out to be too tiresome. I'm not getting the same sense that I did from the early ep- from the first episode of the fall that it's going to be somewhat. I mean, I feel like that show kind of is at least trying to break them all a little bit. And this feels a little bit more conventional, but there's nothing wrong with conventional if it's done well. And we'll see. It's got, I mean, it's only eight episodes. How badly can they really screw it up? I may remember that I said that later. <laughs> the thing for me with this one is if you just look at the other series, short series that we've watched this year that involve a dead child or involve, you know, a murder of some sort or, you know, and it's in shady dealings and cover-ups and everything. We have Top of the Lake. We have Rectify. We have The Fall. We have any number of these other shows. And the first episode of Rectify and Top of the Lake wowed me. Yeah. The first episode of The Fall, I wasn't sure. I was like, "Uh, what's all the fuss? And the fuss was later, and it was, the fuss was Jillian Anderson. (laughs) The rest of the cast, too, but specifically with how they chose to to do that character here apparently the fuss will be david tennant that's what i'm hearing um that apparently his performance is really great but nothing that i'm seeing in this first episode makes it feel anything other than a story we've unfortunately seen way too many times i'm not feeling like i'm gonna get some sort of new take on the shady dark secrets and the murdered child and and all of that um hopefully i'm wrong and with this, I mean, I like this cast a lot. There's some really nice cinematography, um, but unlike something like Top of the Lake, unlike something like Rectify, those I immediately felt like I was watching something. I, I got goosebumps. I didn't get that here. Right. Uh, can, can you, since you mentioned David Tennant, I'll just say my least favorite thing about this uh, about this pilot is David Tennant's facial hair. Yeah. What's up with that? He should have shaved. Oh. I I think it's supposed to be it's 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 like visual shorthand for damaged, which is yeah. just, no. Like, can we not do that? It's visual short shorthand for damaged, but it's completely untrue. It's 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 dishonest. It's not what it's this person who just got this new job who's going to be dealing with the press. 
no. Yeah. That I feel like that guy would shave for the press conference. Yeah, I do too. Or yeah. he, you know, wouldn't because he was he's clearly on his last leg, so he would have he'd be working hard to not screw up. Um, or at least that's what it seems to be. We'll, 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 more as this story develops, and we'll follow some episodes, I would imagine, of Broadchurch uh, yeah. the next few weeks, see, see how it goes. Uh, there has been a lot of buzz, but um, yeah, we'll see. Check it out. If you like the cast, check it out. Definitely. Um, we have The Bridge, Maria of the Desert, and I like this episode way more than the ones previous, mostly because I don't care about anything with Jono, and I don't care about anything with Annabelle gish and uh i don't want to see damien bashir's wife um a lot because i feel like anything we get with her is just inevitable setup to her being miserable so this one focuses on none of that it instead focuses on how would you find someone who's been stranded in the desert tied down with a camera and all you can see is desert how would you try to save them Right. It's a great setup, and I think they do a really good job executing it. And the way it's all handled, I think, works really well. You know, I know you've got issues with Jono. I did actually weirdly like his scene at the ranch. <laughs> Which, I, I would just like a kiss. That's, I'll, I'll remember that. But I don't know. It was, it was kind of like this weird combination of creepy and corny that I didn't quite know what to do with. And that was that the fact that I didn't know what to do with it made it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of neat. Uh, I felt like other than that, the episode was kind of on par with the recent episodes. The thing that worries me the most about the bridge is I love the setting. I like a lot of the characters, uh, and I love the atmosphere, the cinematography, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really the master plot that, that bothers me. And this idea that we're going to be chasing the same guy or potentially woman, um, for another nine episodes, which Oh, I'm not, especially considering the, you know, we've got a pretty clear sense of the uh, political, socio-political motivations of the killer already. It's very clear. It's very simple. It's the point has been made. Are we going to be hammering that point for another nine episodes? Because we're going to need more to go on than that. Certainly. And that's one of the things I enjoyed. I enjoyed that it was such a straightforward, no, this is what. I'm saying this is me on the phone telling you what I mean. I really enjoyed that. But the one of the wonderful things about that is that then you can't stretch it out for a full season. That's a way of forcing yourself to not stretch it out. And we're four episodes in and now it's starting to look like they're going to stretch it out. Why haven't we seen this person's face yet? Yeah, I I would love for them to just pull a Jamie Dornan in the fall next episode and just show us who it is and start following them around. Well, whenever we don't see who it is. Whenever a show does that, it seems like it's because they want to be able to do red herrings and they want to waste our time with red herrings. And if the show, if you, if you execute it well, that's great. But the thing is, I don't think it's anybody that we've seen. I don't think it makes sense to be anybody that we've already seen. And if we haven't, if the show's well written enough, we can know and they don't know. And it's still interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, just look at Top of the Lake. I mean, by the by, a certain point in that apparently only season, you've got a pretty good idea who's doing it, but it doesn't matter because the atmosphere and the acting and the writing is so good that it's not about, it doesn't hinge on that mystery. And obviously it's not an issue in the fall at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, I, I'm worried about, the, about them prioritizing mystery over all else because that's what, you know, 
that they, that's what follows up shows like the killing. And I'm hoping that the people who do the bridge are smarter than that. Still not interested in the stuff with the widow. Uh, I was hoping that their attempts to tie that together were going to make that work for me. Not happening so far. And I'm also wondering when is Lyle Lovett coming back? Cause I love that dude. <laughs> I, I enjoyed everything we got with, uh, with Matthew Lillard again. And I continue yes. to enjoy, I mean, such a, uh, unpleasant, um, just completely unvain kind of performance, and uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving yeah, it. he's the surprise standout, considering I mean, considering yeah. the cast you've got here, and he's he's just been great. He seems like he's having the most fun with it. Quite possibly, yes. Yeah. Well, their final show for our week in drama, unless you have more to add? Nope. Is the newsroom unintended consequences? And here's the thing: <laughs> when when he had, oh. Jim? I want to say it's Jim, right? I don't even know the character's name. That's how little I care about them. Jim Harper? Yeah, when he had Jim say, if it was insulting or demeaning or something like that... I then still I, don't care. I still don't care. I was like, he's he's got to be punking us, right? That's so on the nose. That's got to be... That's got to be Sorkin saying, I don't care if you find my show demeaning towards women or uh, insulting or taking advantage of tragedies or, 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 or I'm going to do it anyway because I can. What? <laughs> uh, it, I, it hadn't occurred to me, but I don't know. I feel like every single aspect of this show is Sorkin flaunting us, flaunting that at us every week. I, I, I can't see it any other way. Did you happen to watch last week's episode? Or did you just Yes, I did. Last week's, again, wasn't as bad to me as I was expecting, but maybe I just need to have you tell me how terrible the episodes are, and then I watch them, and they're not as bad. Well, yeah, so you've got a new strategy to watch the newsroom. Uh, so this was worse, though. This was a lot worse. Definitely. Uh, this is the, the Maggie Goes to Africa episode, which we've been dreading slash salivating over, at least I have, mm-hmm. for the entire run. Uh, so Maggie spends one day apparently in Africa and everything just goes to immediately to shit for the mm-hmm. rest of her life, yep. apparently, uh, which, okay, I like that we go to Africa and get no input from a character who seems to exist just to make jokes about his name. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the black character who exists purely to make jokes about his name and to have somebody to hold the camera. So yeah, there's that. Uh, but actually, surprisingly, even though the, the Africa stuff was horrible and, and tokenist and offensive and sentimental and all this other horrible stuff, I was actually most offended by the stuff with the OWS member and uh, especially the way that in previous episodes she's been whip smart and just schooling Neil left and right. And then she gets with Will for five minutes and just turns into a simpering idiot. Well, of course, because because he's Will. Right. Uh, and then that's women can't speak when they're next to Will. Right, exactly. And then, of course, she's she's furious with everyone until she gets to see Will again at the end. And he fixes her. Uh, he fixes her, and she's yet another woman who is mysteriously interested in his personal life. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I felt like this episode was, you know, any progress you felt like the show was making and it's women, let's undo it all. Chuck it out the fucking window, man. It's not happening. <laughs> Sloan <laughs> remains completely entertaining. And I, I really enjoyed when Neil went to talk to her and he's like, she feels like she was mistreated. And, and Sloan says, because she was mistreated. I was like, yay, it's nice to have that perspective on the show and to have somebody else think that. I don't know that I necessarily felt like that because of how the scene was written. But if that's what we're supposed to think, 
it's good that we trust Sloane's opinion on this. It's wonderful. Um, but every other women woman in this, oh my god, the campaign. <laughs> you guys can't uh... see the face I'm making right now, but big eyes and starting up the Kate smash hands. <laughs> Poor fucking Grace Gummer, man. She oh, deserves God. so much better. All the Gummers all deserve great things. And this is not it. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Now that, because we know how these things work now that they've had a quickie, how many episodes before she quits her job and joins ACN? Oh, far, far too few. Cause the most, the correct number of episodes is, uh, zero because it will not ever happen like or infinity right. infinity yeah yeah but no that that's something like that's gonna happen she's she's the amy of this show i'm gonna say season finale yeah. i think i think i've pinpointed one of the problems with the newsroom as compared to sports night and as compared to uh to, to west wing and that is everybody's a sorkin stand-in to some extent but there are two main sorkin stand-ins here in a way that there was one uh, which would be uh, Peter Krause, right, on uh, on Sports Night. And then you had one who was Bradley Whitford's character on West Wing. You have both Will McAvoy and Jim Harper. Right, yeah. No. And they both get everything they want all the time. Well, yes, and they both are just, you know, they, they're... They're surrounded by these women who they just can't don't know how to deal with, and they're flighty, and I don't understand how they work, and and they do things like I don't know, work their ass off to get a half hour interview, and then just go, well, you know what, this woman, she's maybe in an abusive relationship with her boss, and she can't take care of herself or make decisions for herself, so I, I I'll just give her this interview because I better take care of her. Right, which that thing in and of itself wouldn't necessarily be a bad plot point in isolation i don't think but it's worse in context i think it's much worse in context and then when they have a scene commenting on it later that only makes it worse oh yeah oh there's so much lampshading in this in this episode it's unreal oh god and not not the good kind if is there a good kind there is a good kind this there's a good kind but yeah this was like this felt like that was it from last week i i I actually did tweet about this uh I, i left out loud because <laughs> I, they got me to laugh because they had Don fall over in his chair twice, and it was. Hilarious. Oh, see, I thought they overdid that, but uh, I'm a sucker for slapstick. Apparently, there you go. Uh, oh, and actually, I laughed harder at Sam Watterson in the glass this week. I love that he's just <laughs> that great. he's just having a. I feel like he just comes to work stoned every day and just has a blast, and maybe that's he's just like, a good performance. But I got that Law and Order money. I'm set. Yeah, exactly. He's got that old man swag. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, like, Sam Watterson is the only person having any fun on this show. Um, yeah. So good for him. I felt like this was the show punishing me for still watching. Oh, and totally. When, and, by the way, the only reason I'm still watching is for this podcast, and because you are watching it, Simon. Just I'm going <laughs> to put that out there. That so is I'm why I'm you, watching yes. the the newsroom at this point. Uh, any final thoughts on, on the newsroom? Uh, it's terrible. Anyone I know, I know a lot of people who seriously love this show, and I think they're yeah. all insane. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> I mean, I love this show, but it's terrible. It's <laughs> awful. I mean, it's compulsively watchable, but it is bullshit. It's not good in any way. Well, at some point, we'll do an, a Sorkin like spectrum, and I look forward to seeing where we're gonna put everything on the Sorkin spectrum because. Right. It's certainly interesting. It's well, interesting. what is the spectrum? Is it like from the least Sorkin to the Sorkinist or from the best to worst? Or like, how do you do that? You're picturing a graph already. I know you are. I know. I was just about to say I'm picturing like a sine graph. 
where you have like there's like peak sorkinness Right? right, the right, just the right amount of Sorkin, um, and then too not enough doesn't quite work, and too much like laugh track, so not enough Sorkin-y doesn't work. Too much Sorkin newsroom doesn't work. Where is the correct, you know? Right. How much? How many drops of Sorkin in a bucket of water before exactly. it just becomes rancid? Exactly. How many rancid? parts per million? Yeah, Sorkin. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh. <laughs> anyways, that's uh for for another time. But what wins your week in drama, sir? Oh, I it wasn't a super strong week. Uh, Broadchurch was decent. The bridge was decent, but nothing blew me away. Yeah, me too. Uh, I guess I'll give it to the bridge. I think I enjoy, enjoyed that a little more than than you. It sounds uh, sounds like, and uh, so I'll give it. I'll give it to the bridge. But yeah, you're right. The the week in comedy just owned the week in drama. It. Just completely. So before we go to our DVD shelf with Paul Goebel to talk crime story, uh, some show notes. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. We have a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode. You can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you thought of all, all the various shows. Let us know uh, where you put everything on the Sorkin spectrum and, and why we're crazy for not getting the show. It's brilliance. I know there are many of you out there who do very much appreciate the show. Um, we look forward to your hate mail. Uh, speaking of, you can also reach us at email, theteleverse at gmail.com. And on Twitter, I am at the Televerse you are. At Sucker Howl. You can also reach us at our Facebook page. They've gotten rid of the questions functionality at Facebook, which is very frustrating to me. Because now the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll is a write-in comment thing on uh, on Facebook. So I will continue to put it up but you'll have people have to comment with their answers and then there also will be a poll at soundinsight.org slash tv if you'd rather click a button and then click vote you can do that there um and of course at our facebook page you also can follow all of the reviews that are going up at soundinsight tv we, we link to them there as well as any discussion you guys want to have about the week's tv what should our question be this week sir uh, well, I mean, Breaking Bad's coming up in, uh, I mean, a few days after this podcast goes up. So I'm curious how people are, are they going to be watching it live or do they have to wait a little bit? Do they have a, a watching ritual? Do they do some meth while they're watching it? I mean, we, we all, we all have our thing. Do you have a viewing party or do you tell all those other people to shut the hell up and leave so you can watch in peace? Yes. Do you, like me, avoid Twitter? In like complete and all other social media until the moment you, you're done watching it? I just make sure I don't follow dicks. That's worked really well for me. Everybody yeah, I follow e is awesome. Even nice people can just through a veiled remark. And this this is what bothers me the most, actually, when smart people just say just the slightest thing that you can infer a lot from without <laughs> even thinking. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to try to start doing that. Not for Breaking Bad, but, like, I don't know, for the newsroom somehow. See if, like, the perfect tweet to air quotes ruin, because I don't think I can do it at this point. An episode... Yeah and uh, encapsulate it we'll see yeah that's that, i think that's a great question let us know how you plan to watch the premiere i will be probably i think i think i'm out of town on sunday so i'm gonna have to like race home to to watch it before i you know see too much stuff on twitter and want to talk about it and can't so uh yeah i think i think that's will be my approach you're gonna be barely awake oh yeah it's gonna be a long night Anyways, uh, now let's take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Paul Goebel, the king of TV, and uh, co-host of Hey Watch This with Paul and David to talk crime story. We got no I don't know, Mike. It's a madhouse in there. Do you know who this crew is? You're kidding me? I haven't got a clue. 
want some action. Lieutenant Mike Torello, MCU. I got serious problems here, Lieutenant. Who am I talking to? I need what I need now. I want a car, and I want a million dollars in cash, in front, right now. That's going to take some time. Say goodbye to her. Say goodbye. Don't hurt those people. Let them go and call it the way you want. Torello, you better deal now. This is psycho. I didn't notice. Danny, give me a squad car here now. I got a car on the way here now. There'll be a plane waiting for you at Northfield. You take me with you and let those people go. No, the money! The money! It takes time! I'll kill her! Listen to me, you big dummy. I'm a cop. I make $12,000 a year, and I'm the highest-paid guy on this street. I got $3.65 in my pocket. You want me to, I'll take up a collection. You want a million dollars, you gotta wait. back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we're talking Crime Story, the 80s cop police procedural, I should say, um, starring Dennis Freena, the dearly departed Dennis Freena. And here to help us discuss the show uh, returning is the king of TV, Mr. Paul Goebel, of course, also from Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. Paul, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back on. Pleasure is fine. Normally, of course, we start these DVD shelf segments by me asking the guests why they chose the show, but I chose the show because I heard you and David Bax, of course, from Battleship Retention, discussing it on uh, your one of your more recent episodes of Hey, Watch This. And I was like, we got to get Paul on because this was a vehicle for Dennis Farina, and it's a really interesting show. And you had mentioned on Hey, Watch This that you enjoyed uh, Crime Story. So what was it about the, the show that really drew you in? Um, well, Dennis Farina was a big part of that. Uh, you know, as a lot of people know, he was an actual cop in Chicago and he didn't start acting, you know, until later in his life. And this was a show, it, it basically mirrored his life. He was a Chicago cop. And to me, it was my first exposure to the Michael Mann style of, uh, of television. You know, I wasn't a big fan of Miami Vice because of all the hype and stuff. And, it, you know, it was a little too over the top with the pastels and stuff. But I thought Crime Story was so cool just to look at um, because it seemed like it still was, like, glossy, but it was very, you know, it was rainy and it was dark. And they all wore overcoats and hats 
and and then when they switched to Las Vegas, when they changed the the setting to Las Vegas, you know, it was the early days of Vegas in the '60s, and it was it was just very cool to watch. That was another thing. The show took place in the '60s, so uh, you got a lot of good music and good suits and great haircuts. Yeah, everybody's pretty much looking looking good. The setting, I think, of Crime Story of the, the very early 60s, 61, 62, one of the things that's mentioned in descriptions of the time period is it's, it's like pre-Beatles 60s, which I find is an interesting, you know, descriptor of that time period. But the, the like you were saying, the music, the style, the, the just the types of heroes that you have in a a cop show set in the sixties as compared to, of course, the, the very eighties Miami vice, I do think is very interesting and comparing, contrasting, especially the two pilots, which both feel very of their time of their time of when they were set, I think is very interesting. I also think that this is a, a very interesting show for its trajectory because the pilot starts out and you have this really interesting sort of anti-hero in in Mike Torello, which is the Farina character, who is he's somewhat of a like it looks like he might be like a kind of borderline alcoholic. He's got a semi abusive relationship with his wife. He's there's some dark stuff going on with the character. At least for me, I wasn't sure in the pilot whether the show actually likes the lead or wants you to like the lead. And then by later in the se- series, that approach just kind of takes a turn and it becomes sort of the A team set in the '60s, which I think is a really interesting trajectory um but before we get too far into that uh simon had you seen any crime story no i i'd heard a little bit about it and certainly i read about it in the wake of farina's death and i mean i've seen almost every michael mann film he's made some really great movies uh incidentally the pilot was directed by abel ferrara who uh, i had no idea was involved and of course directed the original bad lieutenant as well as miss 45 king of king of new york lots of stuff so i was surprised to see his name turn up in the director's chair there and i do think the pilot in particular is directed with uh, it's just oozing with style which just uh, you know extends even into the more ridiculous parts of the show when you still get the occasional nice long tracking shot and just really interesting camera work especially for the period it's it's shot in a patient way uh, which is always nice to see uh, but you're right. It does. It starts off as one thing, and then quite, <laughs> then then apparently decides to be quite another. And it, it has me feeling that I I know that Michael Mann was on board as a supervising producer, but I, I I it doesn't seem like he was involved deeply on a story level after a certain period of time. Going back to what you said, Kate, about the characters and how, you know, we're not sure if we're, we like them or not. That was, one of, again, one of the things I liked about it that made it different from crime, uh, from Miami Vice. You know, those guys were super cops, drove around in fast cars and stuff, and these guys were deeply flawed. Um, you know, eventually they wrote out Mike's wife and, uh, you know, made him a kind of a swinging single. But the relationship between the two of them was really, like, really violent and and tempestuous and and you got the feeling like this guy's got a lot of problems and it it went on with all the other characters eventually one of the guys on mike's team gets it gets way too in debt with uh with um uh ray luca um because he's gambling too much at his casino there's uh, a storyline with billy campbell where uh he's dating this girl and and the girl's ex-wife wants to kill him like all there's a lot of these personal stories um, between the characters that go on, and it kind of culminates with the DA character. You know what I'm talking about? David Abrams. Played by Stephen Lang. Played by Stephen Lang, who, uh, you know, he supposedly 
you know, hits rock bottom and he goes to the other side and goes to work for Ray Luca. And you think, wow, this is a huge character shift. Eventually, spoilers, eventually it turns out that he he's going undercover to infiltrate Luca's organization. But you get a lot of the personal uh, uh, stories of these characters, too. And a lot of them are not are not very likable. And to flip that, they show the personal stories of the so-called bad guys on the show, and they're extremely likable. Ted Levine in... <laughs> well, um, wait, let, let's specify. Not Luca. Not not Luca? Yeah, and all the bad guys who aren't Ray Luca. Yeah, exactly. He's the head, the head and the worst bad guy of them all. You're right. But yeah, like, Ted Levine... Is amazing. Role, <laughs> role of his life. Holy shit, yeah. He's great. And, you know, and... He's kind of he's kind of a bumbling sidekick and all, but then you know you see him. He wants to be an Elvis impersonator. That's brilliant, and 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 uh, bad guys like that. And Pauly Taglia, who is just a moron, he's like the stupidest person ever. But he's so loyal to to Luca, you you have to admire that in him. But these are the bad guys, and so you're constantly torn between rooting for one or the other. And in some cases, uh, you know, of course, they even come together. And work together for a common good, uh, and it makes you question, you know, your your typical uh, feelings and thoughts about a cop show. Well, and I think it's really interesting. I think this, at least where it starts, I think after a while, for for me, becomes a little little uh, more sort of cops and robbers, white hats, black hats. Um, at least more than I would prefer, but especially at the beginning of the series, when you have that relationship with with the wife before before they write her out and some of these other things, I think the I think the show and really the character of Torello has a very interesting place in the history of police procedurals because whenever I think of the antihero cop that you're not really supposed to like, I always start with Sipowitz, but I think Torello. Would, if, and this is a series that came, what, like five or six years before NYPD Blue? I think yeah. this character is very much in that mold in those those early episodes. And maybe there's a show that predates this that I'm not very aware of. But because you see, you know, you see police brutality, but unlike a show like Starcy and Hutch, it's not really glamorized. They, there's a scene early on with some cops at a at a bar talking about how they beat a confession out of a guy and then found out later that he was innocent and they, they just kind of laugh it off like it's not a big deal and as the audience at least i am somewhat horrified and so i think there's this really interesting place for crime story and it's a show that doesn't get discussed much but i think it's it's place in the span of of maybe the transition from the hero to the anti-hero lead is very interesting well, I think the reason it doesn't get discussed much is because it was so wildly inconsistent. Like, all those things that you talk about are present, but then, you know, it goes on these wild flights of fancy, sometimes literally. Uh, I mean, obviously, the season one cliffhanger. We got to talk one, about that. Is one for the ages. <laughs> uh, and just, it comes out of seemingly a much more ridiculous show, but clearly some parts of the show just are that ridiculous. I mean, like, the entire. Uh, Ivan Pachenko episode with uh, George Zunda as, I hope I got his name right, um, as a Russian spy defector. That whole episode is just too much in a good way. It's so fun. And it's it's great to actually kind of see the show that can be this sort of dark police uh, inv procedural sort of thing that we have early on go to this ridiculous place eventually. And maybe that's not my favorite thing. But then you see an episode like, yeah, it's like Mig's. 61, 21, something like that is the name of the episode. And it's just completely ridiculous, but it is so 
just purely entertaining when you have the whole Ted Levine lounge act that we get to see in that episode and you bring Zenda up as as a Russian Elvis fan also singing with it was just pure entertainment the great thing for me about that you watch uh watching those scenes and and episodes like that is they not I mean they're all ridiculous and kind of funny and they're meant to lighten the mood of the show but they say a lot about the time you know with uh uh russian defectors and like you said about uh beating a confession out of a guy you know those those are kind of things they did in the day and specifically the first season cliffhanger with <laughs> Uh, you know, the nuclear uh, testing facility, that's the kind of things that were going on in the early 60s and is and in, in Nevada. And so I remember watching that with my dad, and they drive into this little house in the middle of nowhere, and I think, that's awfully strange. And then they walk in, and there's all these dummies. I go, what is this about? And my dad immediately goes, oh, it's a nuclear testing site, because he grew up in that time when... You know, they learned about that kind of stuff. Of course, it's foreign to people like us, but he immediately gets it, and he sees how ridiculous it is right before Ray Luca goes, you idiot, this is a nuclear testing site, and then the bomb goes <laughs> off. Can we talk about just the left turn of that? Because the rest of the episode, of course, the, and we also should talk about the, the role that Crime Story has as at least, again, to my knowledge, one of the earliest series-long arc kind of shows where you really, there are some procedural episodes here and there, but there's a huge amount of serialization throughout the series, the first season and then the entire series as well. But at the end of the first season, you have a, a pretty stereotypically just like shoot 'em up kind of situation with um, with Luca and Torello, of course, Luca being the, the mobster and Torello being the cop. You have, they have this giant action set piece in the middle of... Uh, uh, in the middle of downtown Vegas, and then the uh, Luca's shot, he passes out, and he wakes up, and they're just in this nuclear test facility, and they dr they outdrive a nuclear explosion. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, like the serials, you know, uh, the black and white serials totally. where the guy's like clearly dead, but then the next week he's back again. Uh, <laughs> His, and he's got, you know, he's suffering a little bit from radiation exposure and his hair is white, but he's okay. And yeah. that's why, again, that's why the second season finale is awesome because they, they're in a plane crash. They're in a plane that crashes to the ground. in the, Into the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, but you remember the first season and go, ah, oh, but I bet they've made it out. I bet they're okay. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, we'll never know. Yeah, and and right. Polly just shoots the pilot in that one. He just shoots the, the pilot of their plane, and the two main good guys and the two main bad guys are are just like kind of punching each other while the plane crashes into the ocean. It's I just find it just looking at the pilot, which does really have this this huge stylistic flair and more of a sense of gravitas and heightened reality, but still reality, especially in, in Farina's performance. We should say it's not just that, like Farina was a cop for a couple years and then went to become an actor. No, he was a cop for, I think, 18 years in yeah. Chicago. So 18 years of experience behind this performance. And it is a really centered performance, even when 
what they're giving to him to say is completely ridiculous. He does manage to sell it to a level that I think maybe a lot of other actors might not be able to. And then to go from that, to compare that to just the, just the crazy pulp action invention serial that you get by the end of the first season, I think is just hilarious and a lot of fun. <laughs> well, and that's the tension that I find so weird about crime story is like Michael Mann was known as being a guy who loved authenticity. You know, if you watch thief, which is an amazing movie with James Caan, you know, that story was, uh, was, was, you know, they, there was an actual thief on board as a consultant on that film. And the, uh, the book was written by an ex thief. You know, he, he, he's, he's crazy for authenticity. So it to- makes total sense that he would produce a cop show where your headliner is an actual ex cop. Unfortunately, that sense of authenticity goes more or less totally out the window after that. I mean, there are aspects of the show that are kind of novel in terms of uh, depicting a life of crime or a life of police work. On the other hand, there are innumerable shootouts in crowded stores and streets and just things that no cop would ever undertake, which I think is kind of a missed opportunity. It's, but it, at the end of the day, it's all pretty fun. Yeah. It, they, it does, it becomes ridiculous, but it, in a pure, it, it's just so eighties. Like it's, it's the end of lethal weapon where they're punching each other in the middle of a crowd of people and nobody's doing anything about it. Kind of. Oh no, I I, but fun. I I totally get that. I just I I was just I think because of the pedigree and the people involved I was hoping for something a little bit different, which is probably my own fault. But uh, I mean I I'm certainly not going to deny that it's it's I can't think of a moment in any of the episodes I watched where I was bored. So that's worth something. I really like the the dichotomy of uh you know, it's very 80s storytelling with the the violence and and some of the ridiculousness but it's set against the '60s backdrop, mm-hmm. and it, it to me that is that's fascinating to watch. Well, when we talk about the people behind the series, we've already talked about uh, Farina and and some of these other uh, and Michael Mann and some of the other creative elements to it. Obviously, Ted Levine's fantastic in the series, but let's talk about this guest cast because this cast Amazing. is just filled with. It's their first television role, like David Hyde Pierce, who is David Pierce in this, or Kevin Spacey, or Julia Roberts. Or Stephen McHattie, or... And not even actors. You got Miles Davis, Dexter Gordon, Lee Ving. Yeah. People, you know, people like that. And, uh, and, and that was something that they used to do in Miami Vice quite a lot. In fact, um, it, there's, well, and also like I, I pointed out to you, Kate, Vincent Gallo, Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah. is it uh, you know, the season finale? Like, how how many times do you see Vincent Gallo on TV? It's pretty rare. But they also did this thing um, that I heard about where they cast a bunch of Chicago DJs in episodes. And I guess, it, you know, it wasn't obviously, it wasn't a big deal. And it wasn't things that no, uh, people noticed. But uh, when I was when I lived in Chicago, I was on uh, Johnny Jonathan Brandmeier's show a lot. And uh, he was very big in the Midwest at the time. And he, he, he used to talk about, like, the one line he got on the show. But I don't know if it was a way to get people in Chicago to watch the show or to sport, support it or something like that. But it was like a big casting, uh, stunt casting, just to try to get a bunch of Chicago DJs on the show. And if you watch old episodes, you can kind of, if you know what you're looking for, you can see them in it. And 
that kind of stuff is interesting because even if you don't know who it is, sometimes you go, that guy's not a very good actor. Uh, <laughs> he kind of he kind of sticks out for some reason, and it's and it's just that kind of interesting casting that makes you pay attention. Oh, we haven't even mentioned David Caruso in the pilot, <laughs> or right. or Bi- Billy Campbell, Bill Campbell here. I just didn't even recognize him at first. Is he's the, the, so young? He's so young, and then of course Bill Smitrovich, who is one of the the main characters. Uh, Stephen Lang is another of the main characters. Andrew Dice Clay shows up for a substantial arc. Like this, this cast just watching a random episode, you will probably see a handful of people at, who, if you look at them. Add 20 years, and you know their name. Like Stanley Tucci. <laughs> yeah, there you for go. For two minutes. <laughs> and what's funny is, you know, Andrew Dice Clay, you know, is getting a lot of accolades with uh, this new Woody Allen movie now. And people are saying, oh, my God, he's actually a great actor. He can actually do something. If you watch him on Crime Story, it's no surprise. It's like the first thing he did in his career, and now the last thing he did in his career, he's actually showing what a... What a what a talented actor he is. Everything else in between, of course, was nonsense. I, I also have to, have to mention uh, John Polito, who also shows up early and is fantastic. The best. The best. Well, and it's great to see, I mean, it's, a re- it's a recurring role. She doesn't come up that frequently, but it's great to see Pam Greer as the recurring love interest of Stephen Lang's character, too. And to have uh, this, this sort of really strong and confident uh black woman in this relationship with the, the DA, the journalist and, uh, and the DA. And I don't know, just the, some of the different, the choices that they make and who they're, who they want to bring in is really interesting to me. That's another great storyline that, you know, again, is of the times because you watch it now and go, yeah, he's white, she's black, who cares? But at the time, of course, that was a huge deal. Uh, you know, a white man and a black woman and, I, again, I remember watching that as a kid and first of all thinking, my God, Pam Greer is amazingly hot. Unbelievable. <laughs> How can a woman be so incredibly hot was my first thought. But then watching them and, and, and every once in a while it creeps in. Somebody says something about him dating a black woman or her dating a white man. And, and you, it, 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 it kind of slaps you in the face how, uh, how hard a thing that was to go through back in the day, back mm-hmm. in the early 60s. And, you know, and they don't shy away from that. And it, it and I, again, it, it really, it's almost like a sensory thing. You can almost smell it, uh, how, you know, how it was back then. Yeah. If you're not sure if you want to check out some episodes of Crime Story just for the, the fun of it and for, to see these early performances from people, check out the Wikipedia page and just go through the list that they have of, like, one episode guest stars, because... Ving Rhames, Gary Sinise, uh, who, who, Christian Slater. I mean, th- it just keeps going and going and going. It's a ridiculous list of uh, of actors you will get to know very, very well. Uh, Prez, Prez Belusky from The Wire is in the first episode. There, uh, Michael Rooker is a cop in the first episode. It's just, it's ridiculous. And that, that sort of that uh, meta element really did add to my enjoyment of the series. Totally. Yeah, and I, I remember one of my favorite first season guest stars was David Soul, mm-hmm. and you know, and he's unlike other guest stars who it's their first foray into acting in TV. This is like a callback almost because you're like, holy shit, there's Hutch on mm-hmm. this show. What's going on? But he he plays. He's not he's not playing Hutch at all. He's a doctor, and he marries Mike's ex-wife, 
and there's obviously you know the the two of them don't get along because of that um and it's very interesting to see this guy who used to be a tough cop now playing a softer character up against a guy who's now a tough cop it's it's fucking amazing well and just the creativity from the cre- you know from the the casting department or from the the producers in that i just I, I enjoy that little extra sense of fun and also when you're looking at some of the writers there's some names there you'll recognize one of the big ones who jumped out to me is of course carlton cuse one of the not creators but basically creators of of lost and uh so many other shows as well it's there's a really interesting pedigree both in front of and behind the camera you also have you know gary sinise directed episodes david soul directed uh, episodes and so just who they decide to work with is is a lot of fun do we have any other uh, elements of characters we want to discuss i one of those the arcs that really stood out to me or the um the, the decisions, I guess, was having that uh, relationship with Polly and his girlfriend and watching that struggle. I actually was very surprised to find myself really invested in in the decision Polly makes because what happens, he's the, you know, the number two guy or the best henchman or whatever of, of villain Ray Luca and Luca rapes his girlfriend. And and that leads to this whole arc and watching the character struggle with that. I, I was actually really surprised by the within this ridiculous sort of campy pulpy show at this point of in his run, at least to watch the sort of authenticity to that struggle. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, you're forced. I, I mean, you're forced to side with Polly. Obviously, you have to sympathize with him. And, and it's it's not like it's not like you're given the choice. Hey, here's something nice about Polly you are forced to sympathize with him because you see exactly what happened and you see, you know, he knows what's going on and you're like, oh my God, how could, how, how could you be around that guy? But you sympathize with him and then you also kind of hate him for staying, for, you know, staying with Luca. Or going not, back to him because he turns back. on him, right? He's going to, he's going to rat him out he, he they tried to that's how at the end of the se- first season you think that's how they're gonna get luca and then right. through some jury tampering they managed to get a mistrial it leads to other things but then we watch him struggle with that and eventually turn against his his girlfriend who he did really care about it's 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 i was very surprised at the amount of depth they were able to bring to that struggle and, yeah and especially considering what a see what a seemingly joke of a character paulie is he yeah. doesn't seem to have much depth to him, mm-hmm. but yeah, again, you're forced to see this, and and the acting comes through, and it's you know everything, it, the show, every the music and the lights and 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 the pathos of it all, it it, it just kind of sucks you in. Definitely. Any thoughts, Simon? Uh, well, only that whenever I watched the Polly character, I couldn't help but imagine reshooting those scenes with Richard Kind in that role. Uh, <laughs> oh. Maybe that's just me. Um, the, uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is I, I cannot stress enough how much I love Ted Levine as Frank Holman so much so that I kind of, you know, Levine's still acting. He's on, you know, he's on the bridge right now and he's great. I would love to see him reprise that role on the proposed Saul Goodman spinoff. Breaking <laughs> Bad. I want to see him represented by Saul. I want to see those two characters together. Ted Levine is amazing. Look at that guy's career. The, the, Spanning all the crazy roles he's done in TV and movie, and it's almost like it's not the same guy. You see him on the bridge now; it's like he's playing, uh, you know, the same guy from Monk, only without a rug 
and mm-hmm. a little older and tireder. It, it, and then you go, oh, my God, that's Buffalo Bill. What the F? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it, it, that that alone is worth watching Crime Story just to see his performance alone. Well, and it just it's so much fun to add another actor to my list of I'd rather they be singing, you know, every time they get cast, I want the show to come up with a reason for them to sing much like I'm waiting for, you know, with Mandy Patinkin on Homeland and some of these other people. I can't believe they never took advantage of that on Law and Order when they had Jesse L. Martin and Jerry Orbach, who both were on Broadway for substantial stints. Paul Sorvino, who left the show to be an opera singer. There you go. Never had them sing. Yeah, the reason Paul Sorvino left Law and Order was because he wanted to concentrate on being an opera singer. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll 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 cover Law and Order eventually on the DVD shelf. But I do think that yeah, I'm very glad that despite the the tragic impetus for me to check out Crime Story of the passing of Dennis Farina, I was I did end up having so much fun with the show in so many different ways. I think it's just a really interesting oddity i guess of a show and when you look at its trajectory when you look at these different elements about it i why don't more people talk about it because uh, i don't think it fits into any neat but like, i don't think it fits into anyone's neat narratives of how tv developed you know mm-hmm. it's it's very serialized which is ahead of its time uh but some of the uh some of the modes of storytelling some of the storytelling decisions seem a little bit behind its time or or at least very much of its time uh you know the period setting is unusual for the 80s. I, I don't think it fits into, um, you know, I- into any conventional narratives of how we got here. Also, it's not, people just don't remember it very well. It was only on two seasons, and it wasn't a heavily rerun, um, and, and uh, it was hard to it was hard to find when it, even when it was on, and people just don't remember the show because they didn't watch it, so... It's hard to it's hard to to romanticize about a show you never watched. Very true, and it did get big ratings in its first year. It was right behind, um, I think it was behind uh, Miami Vice, and then it got moved against Moonlighting and died in its second year. But um, it is out on DVD, so if you're curious, you should be able to find it. Check your local library, or maybe you'll have to do an away order, interlibrary loan or something. But you can find it on DVD. And, uh, yeah, next time you're looking for a sort of throwback kind of show, maybe check it out. Any final thoughts on Crime Story? Well, does the, do the DVDs have all, all the original music? I am not sure. That's a good question. You'd think that would have been a, an issue or difficulty for them. Yeah, because it was the same, the original songs. So, I mean, uh, hopefully they got, you know, the rights. wrote that in the contract in the first place. Yeah, because yeah, that, is, that is a big part of it. You really get that, that like the opening sequence uh, to, to Runaway, which is the theme song of the series as well, uh, is so Michael Mann. It's so Absolutely. Miami Vice, you know, 100%. Um, but yeah, I, I had fun checking it out. Simon, any final thoughts? No, I, I agree. It's it's fun. It's not quite what I was expecting, but it's fun nonetheless. Like you said, just just watching for the the cast and the guest cast is uh, is a good enough reason to check in. Definitely. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming back. Where can our listeners find you online? Um, well, you can always go to my website, thekingoftv.com, and you can listen to old episodes of Hey, Watch This with uh, David and me. And um, you can follow me on Twitter at Paul Goebel Show. And you can listen to my new podcast, Brief Interviews with the Opposite Sex, 
which is a departure where I talk to women about women's issues, uh, and I'm having a good time doing that. So uh, I start I started doing that. But and you can always be my friend on Facebook. I'm happy to friend you. Thank you, Paul, for coming on, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Television.